0: day from the global lane global warming chaos and economic devastation worldwide investigating the feds false facts
1: when when i looked carefully at the uh, data in the uh, fed studies there was no effect at all of uh, temperature on economic growth
0: memorial day 2023 remembering the war dead and veterans who still face homefront battles
2: you need to remember vets not three days a year you need to remember vets 365 days a year
0: more than one-third of young American Christian men view porn daily a look at how churches can help them overcome their addiction
3: it is a pernicious trap that erodes even the foundations
0: of our faith and the UK Christian banned from teaching for using biblical gender pronouns
3: Joshua is exactly the kind of young man that we need in the classroom
0: and it's all right here on the global lane Global warming. Is it causing chaos and economic devastation worldwide? That's what activists at the U.S. Federal Reserve want you to believe. Our next guest says he's done his own research. He's found the Fed and others are full of hot air. David Barker is a former economist at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and partner in the Barker companies. David, thanks for being here. So first remind us of what the Fed and other climate change advocates are saying about the effects of warming on global economies.
1: Well, the Federal Reserve has done a couple of studies that uh, uh, they claim show that higher temperatures will lead to lower economic growth. Uh, And, of course, growth is important. Uh, uh, If we have economic growth then in the uh, in the future, uh, everyone will be a lot wealthier. So if higher temperatures would affect growth, that would be a serious problem.
0: But you say other countries, maybe not so much so. They highlight a number of them. So how is this yeah. affecting loans and the flow of money?
1: Oh, well, so the Federal Reserve wants to uh, use climate change uh, as a, uh, well, they, they want to uh, force banks to, uh, uh, to look at their climate risk, and uh, which I believe will lead eventually to lending restrictions, uh, uh, policy that the Federal Reserve is trying to make climate policy through the banking system. Well,
0: what are some of the countries that they're talking about here and and what is the problem with it?
1: Well, so the research that they did was looking both at state by state data in the United States and country by country data around the world. And when I looked carefully at that research, there were all kinds of problems. So, for example, every country in the world was weighted equally. China weighted the same as St. Vincent, a tiny country in the Caribbean. And a few small countries have very unusual economic circumstances. Some might have giant oil discoveries in a year that happened to be a little bit cooler than average. Other countries had catastrophes that had nothing to do with climate change. But those small countries threw the statistical results off. They used very sophisticated statistical techniques, but those small countries magnified the effects Uh, that they were looking for. And when I made some very simple and reasonable adjustments, their results went away.
0: Well, I know I've been to a lot of these countries, and uh, one, for example, Sudan. And I I noticed 30 years I've been going to Sudan, and nothing has changed. I mean, people were starving back uh, 30 years ago. They still are today. Uh, It's just the way their climate is there, and they've cut down all the trees. Um, So how much of this is... Legitimate, though. Is there a legitimate uh, concern here?
1: No. When when I looked carefully at the uh, data uh, and corrected some of the errors in the uh, Fed studies, there was no effect at all of uh, temperature on economic growth. Uh, you know, there, the, again, it was driven by a few outlier countries that were affected by factors completely unrelated to climate change.
0: Well, how does all this credit system then uh, come in where you, you buy credits and, uh, you know, you Like you said, China is given the same type of treatment as the United States when they're one of the greatest polluters out there.
1: Well, yes, that's uh, an important issue that uh, no matter what we do, uh, if the rest of the world uh, doesn't take climate change seriously and continues uh, uh, with the current practices, then what we do will have no effect at all, uh, even if you accept uh, the premises behind uh, the climate change movement.
0: What else did you find, David, in your research?
1: Well, I found basically that there was uh, that, that there's no reason to fear economic catastrophe from climate change. Some of the best research that has been done on the economic effects of temperature uh, were by uh, William Nordhaus, Nobel Prize-winning economist. Now he believes in doing some things about climate change, but his research shows that it's not a coming catastrophe, and if you Think about economic growth. If we continue to have normal economic growth over the next several decades, that will completely swamp any effect of, uh, of climate change. In other words, if climate change might reduce GDP by a few percentage points, we're going to, 2% growth a year for the next 80 years will mean that we're all five times richer in the future than we are now. And so being five, 4.9 times richer instead of 5.1 times richer, is not a catastrophe.
0: I think maybe uh, the debt ceiling and our budget here in the U.S. uh, should be more of a concern. So what response did you receive from the Fed and others when you pointed out the errors in their findings and their advocacy?
1: Uh, No response at all. Uh, In fact, uh, my findings were published in an academic peer-reviewed journal uh, called Econ Journal Watch, which uh, the mission of that journal is to publish critiques of articles that are in other academic journals. And, uh, that journal provides space for, uh, authors who are critiqued to respond. And that offer continues to be open, but not a word from the Fed and not a word from most of the press either. Uh, they, uh, lavished attention on these studies when they were first published, but there has been no news coverage of, uh, the fact that they've been debunked.
0: And, and you have a PhD. Have, have, your writings been peer reviewed?
1: Yes. Yes uh and uh, in fact these papers that critiqued the uh, Federal Reserve were yeah, were peer reviewed and I have published peer reviewed uh our research in uh, on other topics also.
0: So David finally is this all about money?
1: Well there certainly is money to be made uh on uh, on 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 climate change. Uh there are companies that are manufacturing all sorts of things uh that they hope to promote uh in of course including uh electric vehicles uh, uh solar farms, uh, windmills, uh, heat pumps, uh, all kinds of things like that and uh, so it, it's certainly worth considering uh, that when there's a group pushing an agenda like this and there are is money to be made, whether there's a connection there.
0: Okay we've got about 30 seconds. what do we do about it?
1: Well I think the important thing is to question uh, what we're uh, what we're told on things like this and to uh, look carefully you know open the hood, on uh, this research and uh, find the flaws because otherwise uh, people can publish uh, papers, uh, claim that they are uh, authoritative and uh, no, one, uh, no one questions them and it's very difficult to uh, uh, work against that. So I think it's very important to look carefully at that research and find the flaws in it.
0: A lot of disinformation out there that we have to weed our way through. Okay, David Barker, former Federal Reserve economist and partner of Barker Companies. Thank you, David, for taking the time to share your insights. We appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: Memorial Day is a time when Americans remember their war dead. But what about those who fought and survived? Those veterans who now suffer from disabilities, PTSD, or die from suicide? Many veterans and their families are still facing hardship and suffering on this Memorial Day weekend and every day here's a look back at a conversation with michael reagan the son of america's 40th president mr reagan is president of the reagan foundation a best-selling author and syndicated columnist michael always good to talk with you i want to discuss uh, the legacy foundation and what you're doing to honor your dad and veterans but first your father Uh, he held a special place in his heart for american war heroes and servicemen and women What would he think about the way our veterans are being treated today, or should I say mistreated?
2: (laughs) I I think think he'd be very upset. He was very upset back in the 1970s, the way they were being treated, especially when they came home from Vietnam. And he did something about that. And he would make sure that our veterans were treated with great respect. Uh, Those who were coming home, those who were here, the need really all the help they can get, especially when you have so many committing suicide on a regular basis, up 46% in this last year. He would try to get to the bottom of it and say, what can we do to help these vets? And I think people really need to understand, I think what he would tell people is, you need to remember vets, not three days a year. You need to remember vets 365 days a year. And unfortunately, we only do it three days instead of 365 days. But we need to think about that all the time not just part of the
0: time. I know some friends of Gold Star families have expressed concern that illegal immigrant families separated from their children at the U.S. southern border are being awarded nearly $1 million, while family members of U.S. servicemen killed in Afghanistan receive only about $100,000 death gratuity. What does this say about government's attitude towards our servicemen and women and veterans?
2: Well, in, in the world of Defend the Police... Uh, Is anybody really surprised by any of this that's going on, where you really lack respect for those who are, in fact, protecting us, and you have all this disdain for them and the people of America while reaching out? And it's really all about elections. It's all about bringing people in here, giving them money uh, to get them to vote so it keeps you in power uh, for a much longer period of time. And we just can't afford to allow these people to be in power that length of time. We need to do something about it. We need to have a voice. We need to say something. We need to stand up and say've I've taken all I'm going to take and and really get involved. And don't sit back and say, well, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything if I vote. It means a lot if you vote. You need to show up.
0: And I know you're doing a lot to help our veterans. Uh, please tell us what you are doing. Uh, to help with your Walkway to Victory program.
2: Actually, Walkway to Victory is is a great program. We started a few years ago. We started with the Reagan Legacy Foundation supplying scholarships to the men and women aboard the USS Ronald Reagan. That's where this flight jacket comes from. They made it for me. And it's been a great program ever since the early 2000s when we christened the USS Ronald Reagan in 2001 in Norfolk. And, And since then, we've kind of expanded it. And you might remember my father was the first... President to actually speak at Normandy on D-Day, and since then every other president's gone to Normandy on a D-Day of their administration, and in fact spoken. And people love him and really respect him for what he's done for the World War II vets. And remember, my dad did 300, you know, films during that period of time, uh, teaching uh, kids how to use a parachute, how to swim, all these other programs that he did during the Second World War. And so I thought, what we, could we do to honor his memory and legacy of how well he felt about those who served and honor those who did serve back in the Second World War? And so we created the Walkway to Victory at St. Mary Glees, Normandy, France. It's an unbelievable place for the 101st and 82nd Airborne. It's their Gettysburg, if you will. And we thought about putting together a walkway where people could go online, buy a brick, and have it inlaid in the ground at St. Mary Glees to remember that person who, in fact, served in the European theater during the Second World War. And we're up to now somewhere between 1,000 and 1,200 bricks have been laid. People put the names of their loved ones, grandparents, whatever it might be, who served. And those who don't know someone can go to ReaganLegacyFoundation.org and or send a check to us, put in the memo, brick project, and we will find a The World War II vet that served the European theater, put his name on it or her name on it, put it in the ground and lay it in the ground and then send you the information so you know exactly who you sponsored for people to remember that's there at St. Mary Glees at the walkway to victory, in the walkway to victory at the Airborne Museum.
0: Michael Reagan, president of the Reagan Foundation, author and syndicated columnist. Thank you, Michael, for being with us. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Just one or two clicks online and there it is, porn on your cell phone or desktop. One of every three men attending church say they struggle with pornography. 36% of younger Christian men say they use porn daily. So why aren't American churches doing more to protect the body of Christ from this sin? Sam Black is Director of Recovery Education at Covenant Eyes. He's the author of a new book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. Sam, thanks for being with us. So this is an uncomfortable topic for men and women. So is that why churches aren't really addressing this porn problem? What's the reason it's ignored?
3: Gary, it certainly is. In many ways, we just, we feel too much shame about it. And so that shame keeps us in secrecy and hiding. And uh, that's not God's plan. He wants to create, he's not afraid of our sin. He's not afraid of, of the impact pornography is having on the church. He, it, the church is his idea. He, it is God's plan A. We want to create a redeeming and hopeful church where people can deal within a safe place and a safe process to really create healing within the church itself.
0: And I'm sure he wants us to talk about it, bring it out into the open. But it's not only men, Sam. 73% of women, mostly between the ages of 18 and 35, now say they've used porn in the last six months. What effect is that having on relationships, especially on marriages?
3: Well, it is undermined, you know, in forty-six percent of divorce cases a day, a major contributing factor is one spouse's continued use of pornography, a compulsive use of pornography. And so it can have an impact on your relationships. With yourself, with God, with others. It is a pernicious trap that erodes even the foundations of our faith. In fact, uh, recent studies, several studies and surveys that I outlined in the Healing Church show a direct correlation between pornography use and reduced church attendance, increased religious doubts, lessened prayer frequency, and less volunteerism in the local church.
0: Wow. And I know youthful exposure is also a problem. So many kids have easy access to porn online. 52% of teens say they've been exposed to violent porn like choking, slapping, hitting, things like that. What effect is that having on kids?
3: Well, it's very shocking for the young brain, especially that young brain that doesn't even know the basic mechanics of how God created sex for marriage. And so uh, you ask any adult the first time that they saw pornography, and they probably can't tell you anything about that day, but they can tell you a story about their first exposure to pornography because it is so impactful neurologically on the brain. And so there are three commonalities when we look at adults who are struggling. One of the big ones is that early exposure. That early exposure, number one, Number two is the repetition, the ongoing use, especially through adolescence. And we know that uh, teens are among the most prolific users of pornography. And three is trauma or drama, especially early in life. And those three work together to create the cement that keeps, that traps people and people find that the keep coming back to pornography, even though they don't want to. They want to escape this. They have promised themselves. They promised God. They promised their spouse. They promised others that they'll never go back, but they keep going back. And it's so helpful for ministry leaders and those within the church as well to understand, how did I get here? Why do I stay here? And how can I find real freedom? And real freedom is a real thing.
0: And that comes in Jesus Christ. And so what's the fix? I I know you often tell men to get a buddy for accountability. Does that help? Is that the fix?
3: Well, certainly allies are an important part of um, a, a, a safe place and a safe process toward freedom. Within the church, we need to have a safe place and a safe process because authenticity, it builds an intimate connection that's contagious and empowering. And within a safe place, people hear that you are a person and not a problem. Your identity is found in Christ and not in your sin. And often people enter a process feeling hopeless, but they leave on fire.
0: And and finally, Sam, Covenant Eyes has a free app that helps. Tell us about the app. It's
3: the Victory App by Covenant Eyes. and You can download it through your phones, tablets, Uh, We even have a web version of the app as well, and it's free. And within there are more than 30 courses that help you understand, how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay stuck? And how can I take my first steps toward freedom? And it leads you on a journey, not an instant fix, but a journey to growing greater wholeness in Christ.
0: Okay, Sam Black of Covenant Eyes and author of the new book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. Sam, thank you for being with us.
3: Honor to be here. Thank you so much.
0: The British government has banned a Christian math teacher for refusing to call a student by their preferred pronoun. A Department of Education teaching regulation conduct panel has ruled that 33-year-old Joshua Sutcliffe acted unprofessionally, and they've prohibited him indefinitely from teaching. Despite requests for leniency and the testimony of several witnesses vouching for his good character, the panel ordered Sutcliffe be banned from teaching without review for at least two years. The Secretary of State for Education said the government's action is in the public's interest to, quote, maintain confidence in the profession. The decision comes more than five years after a classroom incident where Sutcliffe referred to a biological female transgender student as she. Here's the former Christian math teacher, Josh Sutcliffe, who says he tried to be careful to avoid using any pronouns. I know it's a sensitive issue, and I didn't want it to affect the learning environment. Um, and so I continued w- with that sort of um, position. Um, this, this student um, started a particular lesson uh, well recently, and of course, I was thrilled. I th- and you know, to be a good teacher, you must encourage your students. And so I said, absolutely fantastic job, girls. You've done a really good start there. Accused of misgendering, Sutcliffe has fought this battle to get his job back ever since. He alleges that he was targeted for his Christian beliefs because he ran a popular after-school Bible club attended by more than 100 students. Everything he did and posted to social media came under scrutiny by teachers and students. The school shut the Bible Club down. Christian Concerned Chief Executive Andrea Williams defended him at his hearing last January.
3: He comes here as a man who manifests his faith, who loves the Lord Jesus, who loves his students, who loves to teach maths. But because he's a vocal Christian and manifests Christian views on sexual ethics, on Christian morality, he has found himself deemed as someone for whom it's questionable whether or not he should ever be in a classroom again. Well, I say that Joshua is exactly the kind of young man that we need in the classroom.
0: Amen to that. Sutcliffe is appealing the teaching ban. Meanwhile, new Department of Education guidelines may warn teachers against socially transitioning children who question their gender. It now appears the government is starting to realize that allowing students to change their names and pronouns to match their preferred gender causes psychological harm. Folks at a time when 45% of the people in Britain say they're either atheists or non-religious. Don't you think they need more moral leaders, people of faith like Josh Sutcliffe in their classrooms and positions of leadership in the UK? Embracing Judeo-Christian values would turn things around, not only for people in Britain, but also right here in the USA. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, YouTube, Twitter, Rumble, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.